Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. This is a message from historian and revivalist Ray Hughes, who blessed us over three days with his teaching. If this teaching impacts you, please consider supporting Ray's ministry at www.rayhughes.org forward slash giving. All right. Well, that's awfully nice of you and very uncalled for. <laughs> but uh, I do appreciate the welcome. My sweetie and I have been welcomed in a lot of places when we come, and not always, and sometimes welcome to leave, actually, right down through the years. Uh, but that's been some years. This is uh, uh, 45 years in the ministry, about to tick the clock into the 46th year of uh, traveling uh, all over the wherever. And um, we, we've, and we've got 40 years of marriage and five grandbabies, and the oldest one is five. So that's like having a room full of puppies. <laughs> uh, they're just like this, you know. But they're, they are a great joy, and, and we, we miss them tonight, but we're glad here, we're here with you guys. So if any of your grandchildren come through, we may just grab them and give them a squeeze because that's the way we do it. Uh, well, I've, I've got some, uh, a bunch of things just stirring in my spirit uh, that I, everybody just open your iPads, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I want to, I'll just, we're, we're going we're to actually go to Psalm 32 in just a second, but it'll only be for a second, so if you, you're, you're very welcome to go there with me, or you're welcome to uh, just uh, listen uh, and uh, what I want to do tonight is I want to I want to talk to you about uh, some things that are I, th- I think that are actually specific to this night, and uh, um, you know Oswald Chambers made a statement: uh, living a life of faith means never knowing where you are being led. You just know you're being led, and so you know you're going forward. And see, what, what we will try to do a lot of times in our Greek, Greek minds, we'll, we'll want to compartmentalize and put everything in some sort of a semi-controllable uh, um, structure so that it makes sense, so that we can fully give our energy to it. Because a lot of times, really giving our heart to the unknown in front of us is a tricky thing, because what if we're wrong? And I just want to challenge us a little bit to say, if we don't do that, it's when we're wrong. Uh, and now, Oswald Chambers said, living a life of faith means never knowing where you are being led. But also, let, let's bring some, some, uh, a bit of a finished touch to that. Faith is the ability to embrace what God says about your future. So it, it brings something that you can grab a hold of. God doesn't want it just totally and completely blind faith all the time, does it? Even though living a life of faith means never knowing where you're being led, but, but real faith is knowing you are being led and going anywhere, whether you know, where, know it or not. And uh, I felt like the Lord spoke to me a few minutes ago just to say this to some of you that are here tonight. Some of us are giving our lives in this faith walk to trying to come together, and leaders are always pressed to do this, and typically by functionaries that have to know what's happening next. But um, there's always a necessity as leaders for us to have our 10-year plan. But you're not going to get a 10-year plan around here. You're going to actually walk out a 500-year vision. 
And there's a difference in a 10-year plan. 10-year plans are important sometimes, aren't they? Because they give us the ability to, to begin to mobilize, to go forward. And what that'll do is, but what happens if, if we don't understand that there's a 500-year vision of God for, the, for this region? What's happen, what happens is, is we'll become more obligated to church rather than fascinated with God. And we'll back into a, a, a viable, feasible plan that gives us a plan of action. When, our, when in reality our plan of action is what we were born for. What we're, what we're created for. And there's two things I want to start by sharing with you tonight. The Creator created you to be creative. And the Creator created you to worship. So if we are created to worship and we're not worshipers of God, we forfeit the reason we exist. But if we are worshipers of God and we're created to be creative by the Creator, should not our worship be far more creative than obligation to church type worship? It should, should be a fascination with God that, that re reveals passions of the heart. So you know what singing is? And, I, and I'm bringing this up because I just love the way y'all sing. And thank you, Lynn, for doing, putting songs into the atmosphere that we can all sing to. Because the singing is, un, singing is nothing more than impassioned speech. And if we can become more and more passionate about uh, who God is, and every time we come, to, come together with a language or a lyric, what we're actually doing is we're accessing someone's creative expression and it's giving us a language. And every time creativity occurs, God reveals another facet of his nature. So, if God's got a 500 to a 5,000 year old vision that he's wanting to release the sound of on this land and in this place. So, he's going to give, he's going to give language and lyric that's going, that's going to uh, reveal facets of his nature. Now, when he does that, see, when he, when he, will, he will reveal himself typically to the poet, singer, songwriters, uh, he, he reveals himself in and through creation historically. So when you look at the tabernacle of David as a, as a, a template, and I know, I know you do, if you look at the tabernacle of David as, as a template, what, what you'll see is you have a, have a generation of poets and minstrels and songwriters and dancers and singers and musicians and writers and, uh, and, and so on. You find a generation of the creatives in the kingdom of God, who, like David did, seven times a day, he says seven times a day, he would perform the vow of praise unto God. So that means that there were those that were set in that generation to uh, uh, hear what God is saying in the moment. Out of that interaction with God, seven times a day, a lyric would be born. And then sometimes when he would write that song, he'd say, hey, get this over to the bass player. And this, I want this to carry the low frequencies. I want this to carry those low thunderous sounds. Get this over, it would say, to the chief musician upon Shemineth, for example. He'd say, get this over to those who bring that low rumbling sound. And low frequencies always impact the circulatory system. High frequencies always the nervous system. 
And also, low frequencies always, always have to do with the earth and the ground. Those low sounds. High frequencies, uh, typically spirit realm. Uh, and and, and into, the, into the air and atmosphere. That's why high-frequency trumpets, you can, you can blast a trumpet. I have a friend who's known and been clocked at playing a trumpet, and you can hear it seven miles away because the blast of the trumpet, the high-frequencies pierce. Uh, that's, that's even one of the reasons we have line arrangement-type speakers that we do is to capture across the threshold all of those frequencies in the sound spectrum as much as the ear can enjoy anyway. There's a lot of sounds that can be produced in this room that you won't even hear, and you certainly, and if you could, you certainly would not enjoy them. But nonetheless, you can take a, a 30W, Electrovoice 30W speaker and a tone generator and put a note out that none of us can hear, but it'll move this building off its foundation uh, because, uh, you know, sound is moving air. And, um, uh, but anyway, I didn't, I don't mean to get into the science, really. yeah. but, but, but the, but the point is there's, there's, there's sound and that God is looking for a people to hear the sound of heaven, which is all the frequencies in the sound spectrum and beyond. There are no devices like oscilloscopes and stuff in this realm, in this earth that can even measure all of the frequencies that can be detected in a waterfalls. And there's the sound of many waters. And so, in that, where, where, where His glory is the light, where this, and, and, and the sound of the presence of God is an, an awe-inspiring thing. But my point is this, God is going to raise up a generation that captures what He is saying in that generation, and we've only begun to scratch the surface in regards to what God wants to say in this land and in this place, and He has a kingdom vision for the sound of this place. Yeah. And that means we've only begun to scratch the surface in what God has in the creative realm, in the spirit realm, the prophetic realm, the intercessory realm, and the kingdom realm. All we're doing is we're just rehearsing for something that God is getting ready to renew, rebuild, repair, restore. He said, and as He promised, He says, I will rebuild and restore. Oh, so that means there's something that was that is no longer but he's going to rebuild, restore, and then when he does, a new song and a new sound is going to come. It won't even be necessarily what was heard then, but it'll be a continuation of the eternal voice of God. And he's looking for the instruments. He's looking for the creatives. He's looking for the poets and the songwriters and the, and, and, and the seers and the censors. He's looking for the, a prophetic generation uh, and, and, and I wrote you down a, down a, 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 a definition here. You, you, a prophetic is, is this. It's the declaration of the mind of God in the power of the Spirit with special bearing on the current situation as well as future. It also sets, in things, sets things in order for the future. And the, this prophetic grace upon this house is not about predicting the future. It's about activating the purposes of God and creating the future. Because there is a, there's a kingdom sound that's, that's here that's already been set in motion for a 500-year for kingdom vision. 
And, uh, and what, he, what God will do, He'll be faithful to bring those DNAs and sounds and songs from the nations of the earth. For such a time as this, He will order and orchestrate the nations that will come here and reveal a new sound and a new song. As the cross-pollinization of DNAs find their voice, you're going to find that, those kind of songs here. God created the earth for you, to in, you and I to inhabit, didn't He? So that means we are inhabiting his creation. Now, he also desires in this wonderful way to inhabit our creations. That's why he's looking for the creatives, the one that'll access spirit realm to create from there. And when we start creating from the spirit realm, see the Hebrew, the Hebrew mind is intuitive, it's not philosophical. You know, sometimes it's a, it's a bit of a challenge for us because we want to think with a Greek mindset. And when, when in fact, uh, you know, we don't, even, we don't need deeper thoughts sometimes. We need deeper silences sometimes. And out of those silences, we'll hear the sound in the song of the Lord. So he, he, uh, the Hebrew mind is intuitive, not philosophical. He does not coordinate and, uh, and, and relate things into a system like the Greek mind does. Uh, the pearls in a, in a Hebrew are prophet, poet mind, the pearls will always lay loose and unstrung. They're just there. And ideas and discreet, uh, are discreet, and they're always separate. That's one of the reasons a lot of times the prophetic flow, it's hard to, hard to know which way we just went. Uh, because because there's, that, there's that intuitiveness. And a lot of times any of us have trouble with that because typically we're conditioned to think, think with a Greek mind. Everything decently in an order. Well, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit was never decent in order. Yeah. Now the Holy Spirit's just out of style, yeah. if you would. But if we, but decent in order means that, uh, like, if you want to think with a Greek mind, uh, you look at uh, look at a, uh, a a garden. You know, uh, oh, garden to y'all is a yard. We call that a yard. But a garden is like where you got your tomatoes and your carrots and your cabbage and stuff, all in a nice order, orderly rows, function, functional. And, um, and that's man's order. Look at all these seats in here. That's like man's order. But you want to see God's order, you look at a, a forest. See, because create, out of his creative nature, he'll think very differently. But we, it's actually necessary for us to have some at times some sort of sense of order because we had the ability by the grace of God to relate to the divine presence of God from our place of thought. But Hebrew thinks, doesn't think logically. They never did. That's why David would write the kind of songs that he did. And you didn't know if they were about tomorrow or last year or 500 years in the future or this afternoon or, or a minute ago because they, they, were, they were timeless. Because the Hebrew poet prophet does not think optically, or not logically, he thinks optically. So what David would see, he would sing. And what he would hear, he would sing. What he would see, he would say. And, uh, you know, he'd get up in the morning. I don't know how many of you realize it, but David, uh, King David was a blues singer. He'd get up in the morning and start singing the blues, and it was always something like, my enemies are out to kill me, and woe is me. 
And it, man, I, you know, it's just horrible. My life is, I wouldn't just throw myself at the ground, but I know I'd miss. It was, <laughs> so, you know, it was just moaning and whining and crying the blues. And then, and then the next, and then he'd say, but yet I will praise the Lord my God who is worthy to be praised. And then he would, he would reveal and speak of the divine nature of a redeemer, one who is his refuge, one is my strength. The one who is my tower, one is, well, just a minute ago, he was ready to shoot himself. And now, like one syllable later, there's some sort of a, of a, of a release would happen because the intuitiveness of that sensing and feeling, you know, like uh, dreamers are that way, you know. And God's looking for dreamers today. Uh, uh, imaginators. If that's a word, you need to use that. <laughs> he's, he's looking for our imaginations to come into alignment with what he's saying in the moment. Uh, God's not afraid of imagination. It, we, we, need to, we need to walk around some of our, our literature a little bit. What is a, 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 when you see imagination, image a nation. Image a nation named, named England who's going to experience God. Just begin to carry the image of that. Beca begin to carry that not as a hope so much as a truth and as a lyric and as a language and as a decree and a declaration. And pretty soon you've been given an authority by the Spirit of God to begin to create a future that carries the sound of the song of God's desire for the land. So it's lyrics producing life. What, right, see, let me, uh, uh, now if y'all are trying to take notes to one of my sermons, you could hurt yourself, okay? <laughs> but but he, the Hebrew poet does not think logically. He thinks optically. That's why the songs were accompanied with uh, the gestures and movements. See how the mighty have fallen. And, and there's all the dancing and all that stuff. Is going. See, dancing is nothing more than sculpting the air and honoring space. So, God's not being honored right there necessarily, so I'm just going to cause my body to come under submission to the Holy Spirit and the desire of God, and I'm going to fill that void or that vacuum full of a hand of praise. And see, that, that's, what, that's what dancing is about. Uh, singing is, is impassioned speech. So you're filling the atmosphere full of the passion and the love and the, and, and the divine attributes and facets of his nature are being sung and sounded into, into the atmosphere. God created the earth uh, for that very purpose, to, be, to re reflect, reveal, and, and uh, uh, reveal his glory and his nature. You know, sometimes worship songs uh, create atmospheres that constrain the imagination protects the politeness of a church service and prevents worship. But sometimes worship songs carry a liberating language that causes people to catch glimpses of God's glory. Just in one image, then that increases a yearning in us to know Him in that way and in a deeper way. And with that comes then a heightened awareness of His presence. And then He reveals even more of His multifaceted nature. And what happens? We worship. Because when, when he, what, you know, if, if you need a definition of worship, sometimes worship is just that 
acute sensitivity and an awareness suddenly that comes of the presence of God or one of, his divine, one of the facets of His nature suddenly revealed to you. I mean, how many times you think about it like this, we throw on the overhead projector, there comes the lyrics, we start singing, we're singing along. We've sung this song a thousand times in our life. And we know every line, we know every word, we know every syllable. Do you ever be standing in a church service though, singing a song you've sung, sung a thousand times and all of a sudden there's one line that, and you know the line, but there's suddenly a revelation and a quickening of your spirit and acute sensitivity and an awareness of the presence of God in that moment. And you begin to see Him in ways, sense Him in ways, even imagine Him in ways that you've never imagined Him, imagined him before. And so that acute sensitivity and awareness that just happened right there, now comes worship. You were just singing a song, but now there's, there's something that's happening in the worship realm. And, and, it, and I like to say it like this, and did you know that probably in that very same exact moment, God had an acute awareness and a sensitivity to the presence like you did, only his, his was an awareness of the presence of Paul. Because see, there is a God-shaped vacuum in my life that only God can fill. And when I had that acute awareness and sensitivity and worship, as I begin to worship Him, that God-shaped vacuum, if you will, is now experiencing presence. But now let's think of it like this. There is a Paul-shaped vacuum in God's heart that only Paul can fill. And, and there's, a, there's a vacuum, there's a place in God that no other human being on earth other than you can fill. And at that very moment, he realizes, oh, there's the presence of my friend. There's the presence of, and that's when, like, I like to say, heaven kiss earth and we get caught in a smack. And those kind of things, you know. So, but I worship songwriters, uh, and I, I, I want to tell you, I feel like there's about to be a season of songs coming out of this region that are, that are going to touch the earth, but it's not going to be out of some clever uh, marketing mechanism that's been put in place, but there's a sound that God desires to be heard in the earth that's going to come from the very terrain that's here. So worship songwriters, when you write a worship song, remember you're not writing next year's most popular course, you are writing the next generation's language for accessing God and understanding God. So God's going to begin to reveal facets of His nature here, and you're going to find them in the wind. You're going to find them in the trees. You're going to find these facets of God's nature being revealed through creation, going to awaken the poet-songwriters that are intuitive enough to reach into the heaven realm, access that, that beauty of God, that power of God, the authority of God, whatever it is, and, uh, and give language to the next generation and the generation and the generation to come. See, he, the Hebrews only had two tenses, action completed, action incompleted. So when they would sing, when you get a prophetic song, for, for example, in this room, you may be moving into something and you say, well, I didn't even have the microphone. But now there's something being awakened in you that now enables you to walk up and down the, the, the shore next week and begin to activate promises of God that maybe carry harvest here. It, it, it may just be the wonder and the beauty of God, whatever, whatever he would want to reveal. And that's the way these psalmists did what they did. 
And uh, uh, when David would do that thing seven times a day, we got to remember now he was the king. And he had committee meetings and board meetings and press conferences and all this stuff, you know. But no matter what the stuff was in the world, seven times a day it had to go on hold. And he would reach over and grab that old Martin harp and begin to sing and, and howl on this thing. And right out of that impassioned speech, wrapped in melody and tone and rhythm, and all these textures that would awaken something in him. And every musician that would do that, they all had to build their own instruments. They all, every musician, every singer, every, uh, every harp was handmade by whoever was going to play it. And they were taught how to play the name and the nature of God into an atmosphere. A guy named Kenaniah taught him how to do that. And uh, did you know that? You know how he did that? He, he taught them how to play the name and nature of God. And uh, there was three chief musicians, Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman. And under the hands of their fathers, under those three, will be all these musicians who would prophesy upon the harp and the cymbals and the timbrels and so on. That's First Chronicles 25.1. And you also see in 1 Chronicles 16, 4, where David appointed those to thank, to praise, and record. And, and the word praise is like the word praise we were using tonight. But the word praise there, there's seven different Hebrew words for praise. I guess you know all those seven, everybody. <laughs> but there's seven, well, a lot of people, I mean, y'all do a lot of Tabernacle of David type stuff here, so... Uh, but those seven different Hebrew words for praise, for example, the most used word for praise was the language of the musicians. And that most used word was the word uh, halal. And, and where we get the word halal, Yahovah, hallelujah is where the word means to rave, to boast, be clamorously foolish, to act madly, to radiate and shine. That, it, it, it means, whoo, yes. <laughs> So to halal Yah is to rave, to boast, be clamorously foolish, and act madly unto Yahovah, the uncreated preexistent God. The God who spoke, and when He spoke, remember, radiate and shine. And actually the word has more to do with light than it does sound. But light and sound are the same because they're both frequency or wave, right? So if you take, the, take a, an A note on this piano here, or, or, and you go up, 700 octaves, it's no, no longer measured in frequency. It's now measured in nanometers because it's become light. And so you have across the sound spectrum into the light spectrum, you have the glory of God. And when a people engage the presence of God and begin to halal, yah, what we're doing is the pre-incarnate, the pre-existent, uncreated God begins to respond to the sound of the halal Yah in you, and He now begins to release the very same voice that said, let there be, and there was. Are you getting that? See, we have a God who's able to create through your song. That's one of the reasons across the sound and light spectrum, we have the, in the spirit realm, we can access tones that bring healing in life. Any, okay, get this. Light, the Bible says God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. Light equals energy. Energy equals mass. Mass equals matter. And matter is what makes up the cosmos. If it has 
Wait and occupy space that has matter, right? That's why Jesus could walk up to that wall and just come into agreement with whatever frequency it vibrates at and walk right through the wall. Because matter is no matter for Jesus, right? <laughs> but if, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not confined because uh, he's light, he's life, he's spirit. But light equals energy, energy, ma mass, matter, and everything that exists, exists because God said so. See, the earth was already existing. He, he had created it to exist. And there it was, the earth was without form and void, but it was earth. So that means the dirt was sitting there and these subatomic particles were hovering and trembling, you know, as the spirit was brooding or hovering over, but, and, and, but there was no divine order brought to it yet. It was just existing, but it was without form and it was void. And that is the word wabohu and tohu, which means wabohu and tohu without form and void, which means nothing. Just nada, ain't none, is what it means. It's like that tofu. <laughs> Same thing. Right? Wabohu and tohu, tofu, it's all, yeah. you know. Uh, that to yeah. Tofu ain't fit for nothing. Let me just say. I'm a biscuit and gravy man myself. Yeah. yeah, you don't have biscuit over here, but and that's a, a crying shame. But yeah, I, a biscuit in my part of the country, is, it's like a kind of like a scone, you know. But but uh, you know, it's like and a scone to me is like a 700-year-old biscuit. We love your history. Well, but anyway, so everything is just sitting there. But it's the subatomic particles of this mass is sitting there trembling in anticipation of the voice of God. And God said, and when he said, and you know that the word said and declared and sung and prophesied and decreed and all of those are connected to how God moved the wind with his intent. And so when he sung, all of the notes, all the frequencies in the sound spectrum and beyond all notes that was music was heard as an expression of the halal of Yah being declared in, in that moment. And that's when it all responded and began to take shape and form. And of course, you, you see all the things. And, and on the first day he created something. And, and actually, on the first day he said on the second day he said, and on the third day he said, and on the fourth day he said, and he goes down through there saying and singing and declaring and decreeing and, and prophesying and putting intent of his desire in motion is what he was doing. Mm, wow. And then he gets down there and, he's, and then he comes to us. And he didn't speak us into existence. You know what he did? He yatsard. That's the Hebrew word yatsar. Looks down at the dirt and he squeezes and pinches and forms us. And when he formed us, then he said, he looked at us, and he said, huh. <laughs> and, it, and it's literally a Hebrew word, as release the ruach breath, as in expelling a shout. So God went, huh. And man went, who? Huh. Nafek and Nafesh. And when he said, huh, and then, huh, 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 
And he never stopped. Once he heard the breath of God, his heart began to respond and rhythm was born. Out of that place, man was, a, was created to have rhythm. He was created to have song and meter because music determines how you experience time. So that's why music is so time-based and so time-oriented because the heart is responding to what the spirit has already set in motion. So that, that's, that's, that's how song is born. That's why singing is what it, singing is what it is. And uh, I don't know what y'all were talking about, but I'll try to figure out where we were. <laughs> but music is nothing more than the soundtrack to what God said. That's why you can't think up music. Because music occurs. You don't think up music. It occurs. It's then up to the musician to catch it and translate it into the moment. When it occurs. A song is, and that's why a song is never finished. I challenge any real songwriter to ever actually come up and say, oh, you know, I, I finished that song. It's hard to say that, isn't it? Because you know that one line, that one movement. That one, an artist can't walk in here and look at a picture that they've drawn. You know, everybody else says, oh, look at this beautiful art. And the artist walks in and says, but there's one part of it they won't look at because it's still, it's not finished. The song is not really complete. You know why? Because creativity is not a product. It's a process. And so the one who's doing that creativity never feels like it's finished because it's a process. And so what we were born and created to do is walk through the process of creativity because the creator created you to be creative and his creativity is continually revealing facets of his nature that has never been known or seen. That's why I say every time creativity occurs, God reveals another facet of his nature. And a lot of times we in our religious ideas, we want to say, uh, well, I'll just say it like this. Guys, God's about to reveal himself in this region in ways that no other generation has ever experienced God. And we want to grab a hold of our denominational thinking and our structural Greek mindset sometimes and say, well, we all, but we, for us to believe that the denominations and the movements of the past have already revealed all of God that there is, is the most arrogant thing a Christian could ever come up with. I want to tell you, we've only begun to scratch the surface in the prophetic realm and the creative realm and the spirit realm and the intercessory realm. I'll tell you, there, there's, there's things, and the kingdom realm. There's things about this kingdom that we don't even have, a, we, we have clues because we're on this process of walking it out with the creator. But another thing, creativity is not a product, it's a process and it's a partnership. That means we get to walk with this God who, who now we get to dance with him. We get to rise up and become a part of. And every time, but there's always that need then for us to really know who we are. How do we really begin to know God? It's to know how God knows you. And he remembers the day he hooed at the dirt. And he created us to worship. And you know, the Hebrew word for worship, anybody know what it is? Shaka. 
That's it. You, you say it better than I do. I just, I'm allowed to lean to you at any minute. You be ready. But the word shaka. And the word shaka means to bend, bow, put your face to the ground. That's the Old Testament word for worship. And we see religions all over, different idolatrous religions, you know. That's one of the things that's being counterfeited as they worship other gods. What do they do? Well, you know, five times a day, man, put the face to the ground. Here comes this sound. And the response to those five signals of sound is they put their face to the ground, right? And, uh, and in fact, to bow, to bend, to put your face to the ground means... To worship means that you have to put your head below your heart. You got to get your intellect in this Greek thinking and all this structural, systematic approach to God that makes sense to the natural mind. We got to get our head below our heart and let the rhythms of who we were create, born, created to be and born to be become now the overflow of that experience of restored worship. We do everything as an overflow of our worship rather than an appendage to the activities of life. And that's typically what we do because we worship on Sunday. <laughs> you know, or we do, you know, okay, it's time to worship. No, there, there's not a time not to worship. Yes, come on. You know, and, that, and that sometimes we have a little, a, a little, you know, the song don't end. But, now, oh, so number one, bend, put your face around, head below the heart. Number two reason why we shall call is, is I don't know the other ones. Anybody remembers? We put our face together. Number, number two is uh, uh, we, we, uh, oh, we return to the place for which we were created for the purpose for which we are created. See, that's one of the, also a definition of worship. And number three, if you're going to be a worshiper, sometimes you just got to get down to earth. <laughs> All, right. All right. Now, let's see. Yeah, you know, the, one of the great enemies of real worship are these high and lofty religious rhetoric stuff. When uh, that can be beautiful, and liturgy can be beautiful, but liturgy is textual based. It's, it's, it's not passion-based. And it can awaken, images can awaken passion, but there's got to be something out of the intuitive, spontaneous, expressed worship. That's where the life's at. And then the overflow of that worship can give us opportunities for our preaching gifts and teaching gifts and singing gifts and music gifts and all that stuff. But it, uh, now, knowing that music is universal, Right? Music is a universal, universal language. Universal, universe. Unum is like one, like a unicycle. Verse is song. So the entire universe is singing the song that God activated to sing. Music is universal. Right? But also, song is geographical. Hmm. And melody is topographical. Did you ever think about that? Melody is topographical. There will be melodies that will be written by musicians in this region right here that you'll be able to sense and experience and feel and sense in the spirit realm this, the ocean and the topography and the terrain 
and the land from which the song came from. Because uh, melody being topographical, so are accents. And melodies are born out of accent. Are you with me? So whatever your accent is here, you will carry melodies born out of the accent. That's one of the reasons family harmonies are so incredibly powerful, is because every, every one of those children in that sing that family harmony got their, their articulation, their diction, their accent, their texture of their voice, the tones, uh, the, the rise and fall uh, as they express their passion. That's why family harmony winds up being so tight and so, so consistent with the DNA. Um, and, and, you know, music, they've actually discovered music is actually, uh, or the DNA is actually a musical decoding. So you can play, take your DNA and play that song and you hear your song and there's not another song like it on the earth. It's your song. I have mine in my phone. You know, I just play my DNA. It's a, it's a musical decoding. Accents are somewhat the same way. And they found out also that all aboriginal cultures all over the world, when the Shana, no matter who the storytellers or the poets, there's numerous names and numerous cultures that pass the knowings to the next generation. They will always pass the knowing of who they are as a people through the sound of, the, of, the, of a DNA-based tone, which is storytelling, and it's always in the key of G. How in the world? And, the, and they discovered this years ago. But every, and I record, when you look at this, these people in different cultures, they'd be shamans, they can be uh, bards, minstrels, poets. Some were called, in some cultures, they were called uh, troubadours. Some, they would be called minstrels. Some, they would be called galliards in the French culture. And, and then the Nordic Viking culture, they're called scalds. In um, Ireland, they're called the old Shanakis, the storytellers. You know what? All, a storyteller is just a guardian of memories, is all they are. And they carry the memories and the knowing of who they are, and they bring it to the next generation. And when they become impassioned about what they're carrying, it's so full of life for the next generation that they'll always go to a particular pitch in their voice that can be, that will resonate. God created music to be a spiritual awakening for the next generation to hear the sound. And melody, again, is topographical. So if you're from a place that has a lot of rise and fall and undulation in the land, you'll hear it in the accent. If you're from a place that's very cold and flat, you'll also hear that in the, in the <laughs> accent. If you're from a place like Wisconsin where the wind blows cold and, cold and flat, and that's about as, you know, come on, come on, come on. But if, but if you're from a place that, you know, that's one of the things like Wales. You go to Wales, them people start talking to you two sentences in, they're singing. Where they, they, they don't even mean to. They're just saying, well, that, that, that. You, you, uh, and you know, y'all got a lot of Welsh in your sound here. Every, I've, uh, the little waitress girl, she, well, I think she's Welsh. And, uh, and the girl at the airport this morning, you know, uh, Denise just had surgery, and so we got this wheelchair girl rolling her through the airport, and I said, where are you from? I'm from here. 
And I said, no, you're not. That's Welsh. I've been to Wales too many times. I know what Wales is. That's the land of song. That's the land of melody. That's the land of passion. That's the land of our fathers. Don't tell me that's what. But it is. But, but wherever, you, wherever you're from, you'll carry that in your accent, therefore, in your melody. Like where I'm from, there's no flat, cold, nothing there. The hills and hollers of Kentucky carries melody and passion. And uh, for our songs sound like, Oh, I've just seen the rock of ages, Jacob's ladder hanging down. Hear all that rise and fall? You can go look at our land, and you can see those notes. You can, you can hear, like, like there's, a, there's a place called Big Stone Gap, Virginia, where there was a young boy named uh, Claude Ely. He carried the song of the land, but he's, he was dying. I'm making a long story short. Well, Claude's 12 years old, and his mama, was a, mama took in ironing and did housework and, for people, and his daddy was a coal miner, and they were poor. And living in Big Stone Gap, you either worked in the mine or you starved to death. And uh, a, a lot of the folks from this part were over there working in those mines. You know, y'all brought the sound and the song over from over here. And, but but uh, Claude Ely, they discovered he was dying. And they, didn't, they couldn't even, uh, well, you know, he's going to die. And, but they would leave him at home every day, basically on his deathbed, not knowing how soon it was going to come, but they had to work. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing, leaving your child knowing the sickness was, was after him? And uh, they'd come in every day and just wondering if he would still be there, kind of thing. And they walked in on the porch one day, and they heard something in the house. And they heard, ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. And when I hear that trumpet sound, I'll get up out of the ground. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. You hear all that rise and fall in the land. And he was finding his song. And he, he was like one of the verses, Oh, meet me, Jesus, meet me. Meet me in the middle of the air. If my wings fail me, I'll just grab another pair because there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. <laughs> Isn't that a great song? And uh, uh, everybody in the world's recorded it. Uh, Tom Jones just recorded it, by the way. And uh, uh, Cash, Johnny Cash, I see the Johnny Cash shirt back there. Johnny Cash recorded it. Everybody recorded this old song. Well, when, when he, but this little boy is laying there at 12 years old singing, ain't no grave. And you know what? Claude didn't die. God raised him up off of his deathbed and turned him into one of the most powerful evangelist tent preachers in the, in, in the, in the hills and the hollers up there. And that was his signature song. And he'd go up and do these old camp meeting, tent meeting kind of things. And he'd stand there. He'd had an old D-28 Martin guitar. And he'd bang on that thing. They said, as long as he'd hold the note, the old Pentecostal sisters would whack a tambourine and shout. <laughs> <laughs> so what he was doing was, is the prophetic song that awakened who he was. He, wa he wasn't created to be dead at 12 years old. And, when he, and, and you know, it's one of those principles like, you find the song that reveals what God says about your future. And see, there's a, there's a faith and a quickening. And not a, not a predicting, a creating that can come with that. And that's what happened with Claude Ely. And of course, ultimately, he wound up, you know, that song kind of made him famous in them hollers up there. 
And he got famous enough that he came all the way out of the woods and made it as far as Tupelo, Mississippi, doing these old uh, tent meetings. And there was a, a mother there that used to bring her, little, her, her son to hear Claude Ely tell his story and sing that old song. And that mother, uh, the little boy's name was Elvis Presley, and uh, whose mother uh, was Jewish, father was Welsh. And so carrying the, the DNA is the sound in the songs in the land. And when that, song, when that song awakened who Elvis was created to be, you know, one who would change and shift uh, the world's understanding of music, you know? So anyway, the power of song is an incredible thing. All right. I, I don't have conclusions. When I get tired of thinking, I just leave. <laughs> so... <clears throat> So I'm just telling you, at any minute I could just wander off. Uh, but melody is topographical. Now what does that tell us? That tells us that where you live and how you live should be about why you live, musically speaking. So how do you respond creatively to your landscape? Is your love for God's presence enriched by your love of a place. This, this place was created to reveal his glory and he's looking for the poet, prophet, intuitive, imaginator, dreamer, singers, dancers, worshipers, praisers. I'm not talking about performers in the world sense. I'm talking about a congregation full of people that understand that dancing is to sculpt the air in honor space, to sing the song of who they are. And I wonder what could be awakened multi-generationally if we begin to get our song. And again, I'm not talking about the person with the microphone. You know what these folks' job is? It's not to do their, your worshiping for you, I can tell you that. What they do is they take the instruments and the tones and the textures and the sound and time and space, and they create wind or atmosphere, moving notes and frequencies. In other words, they're creating the water for you to walk on. But it's up to you to walk on the water. They're just creating the wind, the wind that carries it. It's the Ruach of God. And uh, God's presence. See, music doesn't just touch your senses. It does, but not just touch your senses. It doesn't just stimulate thought. It does stimulate thought, doesn't it? But music doesn't just touch your senses and stimulate thought and even awaken memories. And though it does awaken memories, but that's not all it does. Dance doesn't just engage your physical body in movement and self-expression. Art doesn't just bring color and texture and image to a canvas. Writing and storytelling are not just literary and verbal communication mechanisms that are designed to convey thought and emotion or dispense information. They do that, but that's not what it's for. These are not just forms of creativity and personal expression either. Now, the, the key word through this whole thing is just. There's more. See, these are gifts that help our humanness and our heavenness find one another. They awaken us to life and cause our heart, our imagination, wonder, beauty, mystery, sadness. Oh, no, we can't be sad because we're Christians. Well, okay, you can be hypocritical then. But if you think there's not going to be sadness in your life just because you're a Christian, 
you're going, you're going to have some disappointments that you'll have to try to walk through because you've created an, unre, uh, an unrealistic, uh, there's, you're going to go through some stuff, right? It's, uh, th there is sadness. And, and there's going to be some seasons of aloneness. See, we got, the key is to learn, we got to learn how to be alone without being lonesome. We are people who are supposed to be alone with God, and then we carry something out of that interaction with Him, and then when we release the sound of our song, it's so real, and it's so true, and it's so authentic that we've gone through the sadness, and now that sadness becomes a sound that is released, and those that are debilitated and cannot go on with God because of their sadness, they receive their deliverance because this come from a place of alone with Godness. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. They're just, uh, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know where I was. These are gifts that help our humanness and our heavenness find one another. Uh, 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 <clears throat> cause our heart, imagination, wonder, beauty, mystery, sadness, pain, and joy to find one another. All of those that make up life, they find one another and then they all dance together the most elegant steps of life. Because music is a call for your spirit to awaken your soul to an eternal dance. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ancient dance. It's too beautiful for your body to know. Its steps are sometimes too broad and leaps are too explosive to be contained in well-managed Greek thinking lives. Linear identities and physical boundaries don't know how to dance this this dance of the heart ushers you past religious rules and all the Christian rhetoric. It's a dance of the heart that can, and it cannot be limited by lifeless liturgy and all kinds of lofty language that you find in Christianity. It introduces you to a new understanding of His holiness when you encounter the wonderful wildness of God. Because worship is not about having an informed mind, it's about having an inflamed heart. A heart that's on fire for. And, and I'll just ask this question in closing here. Could it be that the times of upheaval in, in our lives are is just our smothered souls and longing spirits trying to break out of confusion and thoughts of forsakenness and just go ahead and be all that you long to be and that's the dance of life. Mu music reminds our spirits and our soul of who they really are. For music arises out of the simultaneous desires of heaven and the desires of earth. And that's one of the reasons there's a, there's a, such a, a genuine and authentic longing is happening in the people of God today. There's a healthy, holy discontent that can only, yeah, I mean, guys, I've done this for 45 years. I'm not looking for another church service. You know? We don't need one more. We've got all the meetings. We, men's meetings and women's meetings and kids' meetings and eating meetings and, and you know, boards to choose the next committee that decides the next whatever. And, and all those meetings are God's way many times of just causing us to interact and work with one another in healthy, holy ways and grow together and all that. But I'll tell you, I think there's a healthy, holy discontent in all of us that we're looking for meetings. We're looking for a meeting unlike other meetings. And, and, and that's what God is bringing. Because when, when you encounter God, now you carry encounter. 
When you experience God, now you carry the experience of God. And out of, see, and that's why David wrote his songs out of encounter. He wrote his songs out of encounter, and therefore when those songs, you know, out of the spontaneity of a lyric, he'd begin to play a song, and, and uh, you know, he, he, he'd start singing songs about their piercing his side and gambling for clothes. And, well, he was singing a thousand years in the future, 1,200 years in the future. What, would it, what was song like when, before David was a king? When David was, he didn't have any aspirations or ambition to be a king or anything. He didn't, he didn't have any political ambition or political prowess. He, that wasn't his deal. He wasn't looking to be the big shot. He was just some kid sitting out on the backside of the desert with a, with a kenner, a, a harp, and a, and a shepherd's pipe. Shepherd's pipe and a kenner, creating sounds that he knew God responded to, and he could interact with God. Fell in love with God out there in the middle of nowhere. And God responded in the shepherd's field, and there's a place called the Tower of the Flock. Shepherd, I've been there. I've been to the Tower of the Flock in the shepherd's field. And there in that atmosphere where he sung the song, over a thousand years later, in the very atmosphere that was still sustaining his praise, a song responded out of heaven into a manger and a Savior was born in the very field that he was singing his song. Because he had set in motion the promises of God, the presence of God. Emmanuel, God with us, came right down into the manger that he was sitting there playing, play, playing that. Amazing. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons they called him the son of David. Of course it was. Because he was a part of the covenant promises that would come to pass from, from the day the songs were written and, and beyond. Now, Jesus came there into an atmosphere of worship because he came to restore worship. It was about rebuilding and restoring. And so there is where he chose to come. Where one who knew how to touch the strings of the harp and release the presence of God. That's why matter and, and disease and sickness and, and things like that can be dealt with uh, through the sound realm. You know, they know that your liver, they can measure, it because it's matter, it can measure the frequency by which it vibrates. And, and if, uh, you know, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the whole earth is trembling. The whole earth is vibrating. The stones underneath the earth right now are, are trembling at a particular frequency and if it ever ceases, those stones ever cease to vibrate, the whole earth will go off of its axis, slam into the other planets, and you'll notice. <laughs> but it cannot do that because it's being upheld by the sound or the authority of the sound of the voice of God. It's trembling at His Word. And as long as His voice has authority, it'll never cease to tremble. Now that's the kind of principles that David moved in when he would touch the strings of the harp, releasing destiny in the people. And then that prophetic song that he played out there, this one who really was not king material, 
Because if you remember, when Samuel showed up at Jesse's house and said, Jesse, bring your boys. I, God told me that the next king is in this house. And so Samuel, after telling Jesse that, Jesse brings all the boys in. Y'all, You remember this story? All of them show up there, and, and Samuel, the prophet, goes down the line. Oh, nope, that ain't him. Whoop, no, don't think so. All It goes all, through all these guys. Now Samuel's standing there scratching his head, and he's thinking, my goodness, I know God said that. Well, Jesse, have you got any? Have you, uh, well, yeah, I've got one more son, but he's really not king material, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he's a musician. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's probably sitting somewhere in the field playing to a bunch of sheep right now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> This ain't king stuff. This ain't warrior nothing. I mean, he's, he's overly sensitive, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, t- and, and t- timid and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and temperamental. Goodness. T- half temper, half mental. I mean, he's something wrong. <laughs> something wrong. You, you don't want somebody, you don't, it's a guy like this with the button under his thumb, you know. I mean, he can just go off, you know. Just too sensitive. And you remember what Samuel said? He says, I will not sit down until he comes. And that is a word. See, there's a bunch of these old guys that are just telling you right now, young guys, we're not going to sit down until you come. We're not going to sit down until you get up. We're not going to sit down. We're going to keep carrying this thing. And we're not going to sit down until the musicians come in out of the sheep out of the shepherd's field out of the tower of the flock out of the places of birthing you're playing your songs in mangers right now around mangers and around atmospheres that maybe you don't understand but we we know that there's a generation that's about to rise up in the power of the spirit they're going to touch the strings and the presence of God is going to shake the nations and it's not going to be about a revival it's going to be about the harvesting of the nations of the earth because the glory of God is going to cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the, that's the hands upon the heart that we're waiting for. So, so let's, uh, all right, I'm tired of thinking. So I'm just going to wander off, I think. Can I pray before we go? Um, can I show you, let me show you this. When I talk about touching how David taught them, Ken and I taught them to touch the strings of the harp in such a way that it would reveal, re- release the presence of God. This is a quick version of it, but the quick version is this. Imagine 22 strings upon the harp. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numerical value, a tone value, a, a color value, and 11 other values. Uh, just one letter in the Hebrew alphabet carries layer after layer of revelation and different cultural idioms that we don't even, you know, they're just amazing. But that's how, how broad and how wondrous the Word of God is. And now you can imagine, it was important to, like when David was going to play the harp, for example, in Saul, it says, he made it a distinction. Bring me one who can play skillfully with his hand. Not with a pick, with his hand. Because they used plectrums or picks on the big harps like the Sumerian harps. They would use them. They'd have a pick that they would use as the size of a Bible. And rake these things up because it was a big old percussive roar of a sound. 
that they would be producing. And, but this was important. The hand had to touch the strings because the strings were made of the upper belly, upper belly of the sheep gut that where David had been playing out in the field, you know who he was playing to? The lambs that had already been designated to be the sacrificial lambs. He was playing a song unto the sacrificial lambs. And there would be one born in the manger in the shepherd's field that would be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, releasing the song and the sound that he was carrying in that field. And so when these folks, these musicians in David's day, they were taught. You see, there were, there are no, in the Hebrew, there are no vowels, only consonants. So they'd play the consonants of the names of God with the yod. Remember praise, one of the word praise, yada, to shoot out the hand. They take the hand of praise and bring that and touch the designated strings that carried the value, prophetic value of the tone that was the name and the nature of God. So when they're yod, they touch those strings place would be filled with the presence of God. And, no, and I'm here to tell you guys, there's, God says He's going to do it again. He's going to raise up people in the earth that will touch the strings and no disease can live in this church. See, no sickness can be in this church. No, 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 no sin. Can, because the tenderness and the goodness of God, not the judgment necessarily, the goodness of God is so experienced that the heart is vexed to the point of embracing the mercy and the goodness of God. That's how beautiful the sound is that's coming. And the, all right, now if, if I don't stop, I'll just preach all night. And uh, but I, but I do want to pray, Lord. I pray that that this house right here. I pray that this people that come together on this night, Lord, would begin to experience in their in the heart of hearts. Let, uh, allow us, Lord, to begin to see a new song coming. See and feel and sense and know there's a new wind blowing. There's a new sound and a new song and a new language coming to this house and every person that's in it. Lord, I just declare right now that time and territory, there's territorial responses for this region yes, that you want to awaken tonight. Yes, there's technologies that you want to use and there's tones and tunes that impact us and, and stimulate our emotions. But Lord, we want to step beyond the stimulation of our emotions. We want to move in the power of the spirit, soul, and body, re revealing and releasing heaven in this region. Lord, we declare right now that the, the, though instruments are created to empower us as a people to express our intentions, Lord, we're asking you to anoint this region to express your intentions in the music realm. Lord, awaken man's heart. Awaken the writers. Awaken the poets. Awaken the prophets. Awaken the intercessors. Awaken those who bring voice into a corporate congregation. Every voice that comes through the door. And for every church in this region that lifts up the name of Jesus, we declare a new sound, a new song, and a new language. And Lord, we step beyond hard and fast rules, and we, and we yield our, to your Holy Spirit to awaken your purest creativity in this people in this room. And, and Lord, we, we understand that creativity is not about rules. We understand that creativity is about relying upon our spirits rather than our minds in order to create and release what you desire to create and awaken the worshipers to rise up out of the dirt of humanity in this region. Even those that don't even know your name, even those that don't embrace 
uh, necessarily our or anybody's theology. It's not about theology, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to raise them up, awaken them. We we're asking for signs and wonders and miracles, prophetic dreams. We're asking, Lord, that people in this room tonight will lay down in their, in their beds and, and the sheets will feel like angel wings over them. And that they're going to encounter signs and wonders and miracles in the middle of the night. And you're going to awaken a language in this region that's called that the, that the nations of the earth are going to have to hear. Because the sound will be so pure and so simple, yet so powerful. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I, I want to just declare this now. This place, you as a people, you're at a, you're at a threshold in time. Think of this. We're in a threshold in time, and you're once again being given an opportunity to choose between a mindset or a revelation. So we choose this night. We can choose to be embedded in superficial church mindset or supernatural kingdom revelation. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to reveal yourself, change our mindsets, in Jesus' name. We do not want to live where we've been. You know, th think about this, guys. The enemy wants you to forget who you are in the middle of the land of who you used to be. And, we, and, and sometimes it's hard to step out there and really be who you are in the now because who you used to be is still sneaking around. But I declare right now in Jesus' name that door is closed and your past will not, imp will not control your future. This is a new day with a new sound and a new song as God is rebuilding, renewing, and repairing the sound and the song that you were born to carry in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.